HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Friday. Welcome to the Heritage Radio Network Farm Report. Our show today is brought to you by Hearst Ranch, purveyors of the finest grass-fed meats from the Central California coast. Um, we'd like to encourage all listeners to call into the studio at 718-497-2128. Today's Farm Report, we're excited to welcome um, from Brain- Bainbridge, Washington, Mark Tupper of Triad Fisheries who works with renowned salmon fisherman Bruce Gore. How's it going today, Mark? It's going really well. How's it going with you? Everything's going really well. Um, Where are we talking to from right now? Well, I'm actually in Seattle today. Seattle today. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's uh, give a little background real quick to our listeners. Um, Triad Fisheries uh, was garnered more than a little national international attention as of late. Um, They're heralded as a premier supplier of frozen at-sea salmon. Triad captures its fish by hook and line, and each fish is allowed to swim naturally, allowing any lactic acid from the struggle to metabolize, then humanely stunned in the water and brought immediately to the dressing table. Is that about accurate? Well, that's exactly accurate, but the one thing is we are triad fisheries. I'm sorry. (laughs) Okay. Sorry about that. Triad fisheries. Triad fisheries, yeah. Are you the founder of triad fisheries? No, Bruce Gore founded triad fisheries uh, back in 1978. Bruce had... tried gill netting and seining, which are the other two ways to catch fish. He just wasn't happy with the quality, so he tried trolling. And trolling is spelled T-R-O-L-L-I-N-G, trolling for salmon, which is basically like you just explained, a single line caught salmon, um, gently played to the back of the boat, and then brought a boat and cleaned. And we've taken it one step further by putting super freezers on our boats. We have freezers on the boats that go down to minus 50 degrees that we clean the fish and we immediately freeze it to minus, um, minus 30 degrees core temperature on the fish. 
All right. So we're going to get into all the details explaining what that means, starting from the beginning. So okay. most of your fish are harvested at the peak of their development from the Gulf of Alaska. Can you tell us a bit about the history of the waters where you fish? Well, the, the southeast Alaska is known as a very, very pristine area. Obviously, you know, all of Alaska has very, very small populations. And uh, the nice thing about the state of Alaska when they wrote their um, constitution in 1959, they said that all fisheries must be sustainable. So the state of Alaska has done a very, very good job as far as fish counts, especially on salmon, making sure their salmon fisheries are very, very sustainable and well-maintained. Okay. Um, Well, are your salmon wild, or does your fishery hatch them, harvest them, and then catch them? No, our, our, all of our fish are wild salmon. All of our fish are coming off the uh, off the Pacific into the Gulf of Alaska and heading for streams to go and spawn. They're all wild. So, do they move um, into fresh waters at some point? Yeah, we, well, that's the nice thing about what, with the way we troll for fish. When we troll for fish, we're about three, four miles out in the salt water. So that fish that we catch is still actively feeding. Um, the fish that we don't catch goes in, goes into the rivers, and goes up the rivers and then spawns. Okay, so that's creating more of a population for maybe the next year's run? Yes, exactly. Okay. Um, About how many fish are you able to catch during this prime time, and when is this prime time? Our fishery starts in July, and always on July 1st, and it's set up on a treaty. And The first thing we fish for is king salmon in Alaska, and king salmon, obviously, they call it the king salmon because it's the largest salmon you get in Alaska. Okay. And um, we fish for kings usually the first, first of July, and it just depends on what the treaty runs between um, Alaska, Canada, Washington, and Oregon. Um, all kind of get involved and make sure that we don't take too many fish. We are uh, keeping our streams very, very well fed with fish that go up and spawn. Well, it's actually interesting that you bring that up. Um, this was something that I wanted to get to a little bit later, but we wanted to talk some big picture issues. And um, we wanted to talk about, you know, overfishing tuna in the United States. And you brought up Canada and Washington just now and making sure that you're not, you know, overfishing your waters. Um, mm-hmm. Can you speak to any of these issues like regarding tuna um, since you are within the industry? You know, I've, I've never been involved with the tuna fisheries. I've, I've always been involved with Alaska since I first started the industry, so I, I'm not really, I can't really comment on something I don't know about. Mm-hmm. So uh, on the tuna fisheries, it cannot. I can say this, that there is a small albacore fishery uh, for small albacore tuna off the Washington coast and Oregon coast. It seems to be very well done. It's a hook and line um, similar to what we do. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know that Whole Foods and other, other uh, retailers have, have really come to support the uh, Washington and Oregon fisheries on albacore tuna. Yeah, I know that um, I've, I've talked and worked with producers of the American tuna, which are six fishing families um, out of San Diego. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe they are Marine Stewardship Council certified as well. So yeah. um, they are definitely falling within the category that you speak of. Yeah, and all the Alaska salmon fisheries are all under the marine stewardship uh, umbrella also. That's part of the laws set forth that we were just discussing, correct? Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, you've got some pretty um, unique protocols for catching and processing the fish. Can you tell us a little bit about these and in um, specifically how you bleed, glaze, and um, cryogenically freeze the fish at sea with serial numbers? <laughs> yeah. You know, it all starts out with a philosophy that that when you get a a salmon like we do, and we're three miles out, 
The salmon's still actively feeding, which I think we've already talked about. But more important than that, that salmon's at its zenith. Its body fat's at its richest. The salmon's still putting on fat before it goes into fresh water, and it's just heading into that fresh water at that point. So you're getting just, just the healthiest possible thing you can get from Mother Nature. And the philosophy of our company is to take this product from Mother Nature and try to give it to the end user, to the consumer, in its most perfect form as we got it when we took it onto the boat. So the first thing we do is that we troll at two knots, and we don't troll any faster than two knots. And by doing that, we're trolling basically at the same speed a salmon swims at. So when a salmon bites our line and gets on the line of the boat, it's very, very easy for us to play that salmon to the back of the boat without causing any stress to the fish. And by not causing stress to the fish, there's no lactic acid built up in the fish. So we bring the fish to the back of the boat, we humanely kill it, It's humanely killed by hitting it on the head, which stuns the fish. We bring it aboard the boat, and then we immediately clean it. And when we clean it, we get everything out of the fish. So all the uh, blood and entrail, everything else is all removed from the fish, so it's immediately cleaned. Um, We clean our decks every 20 fish um, with a sanitizer. And basically that fish just gets completely cleaned. The head's removed. um, It's opened up and cleaned out. And then we hand it to somebody in the lower part of the boat in one of our super freezers, which is basically a plate freezer. Mm-hmm. And we lay it on the plate, close up the hold, and turn on fans down there that blow the fish. So it's somewhat like a, like a tunnel freezer in a way that each one of our boats has. How long does it take for um, a product to be frozen at this temperature and within that level? Well, what we've done is we've really beefed up our compressors, which is part of the whole freezing operation on the boat, so that we can freeze a, a small salmon, like a coho salmon, which is going to run anywhere from two pounds up to maybe 14 pounds during the end of the year when the coho get larger, Mm -hmm. those coho salmon are going to freeze in about an hour and a half. On a king salmon, the king salmon this last summer averaged around 14 pounds, and a king salmon takes us, oh, probably about two and a half to anywhere up to four hours if it's a large fish to freeze. What we do is we freeze the salmon, until we know our core temperature is at minus 30 or colder. Mm-hmm. Then we'll actually stop fishing, and we'll go in and we glaze the fish. And we talk about glaze. All glaze is is a clean water um, wash that goes on the fish. It's basically dipping the fish in a tank of water, of clean water, and that water freezes on the fish and stops the fish from getting dehydrated in the freezer. Wow, very well explained. So do you sell fish whole, filleted, I mean sliced? How do you sell your fish, or does that depend on the customer or the account you're selling to? It does depend on the customer. Um, We sell our fish generally whole, and and why we want to do that is our fish are, are frozen so fast and so quickly that fish needs to actually relax um, as it thaws out. Mm-hmm. So most of our customers, especially in retail, they'll just take our fish, they'll put them out in front of their fish counters and give it two or three days, actually, to thaw out properly and on ice. Mm-hmm. And then they'll make either fillets or steaks out of that fish and put it in their service counters for the customers to have. So the customers basically have four choices. They can either buy a frozen fish out of their freezer or they can buy a a thawing fish out of their ice or a thawed fish out of their ice, a whole fish, or they can buy a fillet or they can buy a steak. Wow, wonderful. And then I was um, fortunate enough to receive a sample of your product this morning. And I um, actually, I received what looked like a side of salmon with the skin still on, and then I received um, fillets that look like, um, you know, sashimi-grade type of salmon, something that you would use for sushi. Um, who did the processing and the cutting of that since it didn't necessarily come from, like, you know, a, a store or a fish market down the block from me? It was shipped to me from where? I'm not even sure. 
Can well, you... actually, um, we work exclusively with a plant in uh, Richmond, British Columbia, that makes cold smoked salmon. And they were kind enough, and we just did some sashimi packs. We could send out some samples of our fish. Mm-hmm. And what they do is they took our fish, they thawed it out, and in, in, in a commercial operation, they put a wet towel on the fish and put it in their cooler, let the water drain away from the fish, and let it thaw out for about two days. So they know the fish is completely thawed, that muscle's now relaxed. And I have to step back and tell you, you know, when you freeze a fish that quickly on the open ocean, you're actually freezing live muscle tissue. Uh So the texture that you're going to taste today should be unlike any other salmon you've ever eaten before. So they, um, they, they basically took the salmon, filleted it, and put a light salt on there for us. It's less than 1%, but just a little bit of salt because it helps the flavor of the salmon. Mm-hmm. And then they uh, sliced it up and laid it out on a tray for us so that you could try it today. Well, we've got some great reviews. We have from Sarah and Lorenzo both trying it here um, at the studio, and they were very impressed with the buttery um, taste and texture, um, as well as there's no fishy smell at all, and it was packaged beautifully. So we were quite impressed with, um, you know, that really bright orange color of the flesh, and um, we're very happy with what, what we tried here. So... Um, I guess that brings me to my next question, and um, we also had the same exact question from Stephen Lewis of uh, Yonkers, New York, who wonders, um, you know, why does your salmon taste so good? I mean, we talk about humane catch, and we talk about, you know, killing um, the... um, the uh, effects that, you know, bad practices can bring to the final product. But is there anything else you can speak to that tells us why this fish tastes so superior to other salmon? Well, well, there, there's, 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 there's the whole thing that goes into it, and it, it starts out with, uh, with catching a fish that's still actively feeding, whereas most salmon, like we talked about earlier, goes into a net, goes into stress, and then dies. Our salmon's actually caught as it's still actively feeding, and we're very, very gentle with that fish. So mm-hmm. we, we haven't changed the enzymes at all in that fish from, from taking it from the ocean to giving it to you. We've kept those enzymes um, from, from interacting and, and changing the meat and changing the flavor of the fish. The other thing we've done is we've frozen live muscle tissue. So we talked about that also. That's, that's a really big difference. Mm-hmm. And then how fresh is a fresh fish? You know, people are concerned about frozen fish in America, and it's always, a, uh, it's always one of the biggest arguments we find when we go out and talk to a new chef about our salmon before mm-hmm. they've actually seen it. And before they've tried it, they say, oh, frozen fish isn't what I want to eat. I want to eat fresh fish. Well, mm-hmm. we consider our fish to be the freshest salmon, the freshest salmon you can get in the marketplace. And I, Yeah, continue. I'm sorry. So, so our, when you thaw our salmon, biologically, it's two hours old. That's an interesting way of looking at it, um, and it's funny that you bring that up because as um, we've learned in some of our recent Farm Report interviews um, with Bison and some of our beef producers, they do the same thing. They'll automatically, you know, once they take it to the abattoir, flash freeze the Bison or the beef so that way it doesn't um, lose any of its, um, you know, good characteristics while you're transporting that meat as a fresh product, you know, either across the country or even across, you know, the state or the town. And that's, and that's kind of the sad thing about it is that a lot of the fresh salmon coming to market, especially wild salmon, comes from very remote, remote areas and has to be transferred from plane to plane and re-iced several times and moves through the um, chain of custody. But as it's moving through that chain of custody, it has temperature fluctuations, and also it still has blood in the bellies and things like that where our fish doesn't. Yes, I'm- So wild salmon's a very, very nice thing day in and day out and much better than farmed in my estimation, but... 
I think as far as wild salmon goes, you'll find that the Bruce Gore salmon is the highest quality and the best wild salmon you can get, bar none. Wow. Well, and I was fascinated to learn that um, because your fish are frozen on board, that you transport them slowly by barge from Alaska to Seattle, which is, I guess, where we um, received our samples shipped from today. Yeah. So not only are salmon um, um, sustainable, they're also traceable. So one of the things that Bruce Gore started doing when he first uh, built his boat, the Triad, who our company is named after, Triad Fisheries, Bruce had his first boat was called the Triad. How big is this? How big uh, was all the about first? Forty-two boat. feet. Okay, okay. So they're all about the same size, and they all—they're all—they're all, they're all, they're all just between. They're between forty and fifty feet, though. But most of them are right around forty-two. When Bruce first built his boat, he said, "I want my customers to know what day and where I was at when I caught this fish." So he started logging in each fish as he caught it, and started putting it in bags with serial numbers. That's something you brought up earlier that we didn't talk about, mm-hmm. um, didn't get into. When, when each fish is, is glazed, it goes into a bag, and the bag has a serial number on it. And that's been very, very important to us and important to our customers. And they can say, Mark, where did this fish come from? And I can say this came from our boat, the Constance, out of Sitka. It was caught on uh, July 10th, and uh, he was in um, well, whatever bay he was in then. So, I mean, I, just, I can tell you exactly where the fish came from and what boat it came from. We've been doing that since 1978. We've been traceable. And as far as sustainability, uh, we talked about that. And then um, it seems like the- yeah, it seems like you're definitely lessening or reducing your carbon footprint, you know, by um, transferring these over by barge and not flying your fish from Alaska then to Seattle. Yeah, we were pleasantly surprised. We got contacted by the Ocean Conservancy uh, last fall. And they told us that our um, Alaskan troll fishery in southeast Alaska is the smallest carbon footprint of any Alaska fishery. Wow, that's a really congratulations. That's thank you. We're really excited about that. Um, well, I wanted to ask: Are you inspected by any third party? Do you answer to anyone but yourselves when it comes to setting your ethical and quality standards? We've always set our own, and uh, the only other thing we've done is we've allowed uh, the Marine Stewardship Council came in because we were shipping salmon into the Skiji fish market. Our salmon's actually served as sashimi in the Japanese market. Wow. Uh, we sell people like the Conrad Hilton in Tokyo that just absolutely love our salmon and make sashimi out of it. And uh, the Marine Stewardship Council came to us and said, would you please be the first United States seafood company to be Marine Stewardship Council approved in Japan? And we said, of course we would. Wow. Well, congratulations on that. That's pretty big. Now, um, there's... There's something um, about the the traceability. It it can go back to the exact boat. It can go back to the exact day it was caught. I mean, that's really important, and it's amazing. Um, Have you ever had any issues with, you know, um, having to trace, you know, a whole batch of salmon or anything like that? You know, every once in a while you're going to end up with a bruise in a fish or you might have an anomaly in a fish when it's split where there is um, uh, a scar or something like that. And so we've had very, very few of that, uh, few, few, few of those uh, examples ever in the company's history. And I've been doing this, uh, doing this uh, job now for the last three years and haven't had a single complaint. Wonderful. What do you see as the future of wild salmon in the waters where you operate? I think it's, I think it's going to be great. I think that things are very, very stable. The feed is still in the water. Um, Alaska does, uh, most of our salmon feed on herring, and Alaska's done a great job with their herring fisheries as far as uh, what their take is and making sure the herring have spawn. 
and does many, many flights over the fisheries and has biologists out there making sure that things are being done properly. So I think Alaska's fisheries are very, very strong for years to come. Wonderful. And now, um, how many boats did you say you had on your fleet currently? There's 21 boats that Bruce trained uh, before retiring. They're still fishing. And, and the nice thing about our boats, it's families. We have mothers and fathers um, and then young, either young, uh, um, a young brother or sister on the boat. So hmm. it's kind of a funny thing. Many of the boats have uh, teenagers that leave, and now they're back on the boat, so they're in their 20, 25 years old. They graduate from college and realize that this is what they want to do, and they're back up with their mother and father now. And will soon be taking over the boats and bringing on their own crews. Wonderful. Well, we always talk about, you know, needing the next generation and the younger generation to become more involved so that we can keep these sustainable practices alive. So that's that's really nice to hear. Um, and now with these ships, how do you keep them up to snuff in terms of sanitation and to ensure that the fish remain uncontaminated throughout their whole journey? Like, how often do you also go back and forth to shore to drop off your catches? Um, that's part of our whole carbon footprints. We actually stay out. Most fisheries, the fishermen come in and out every day, every night. They're running back and forth. We stay out from anywhere from 5 to 15 days, depending on what we have to catch and, and how long we're allowed to fish for. But generally, one of our trips is going to be from 12 to 15 days. Um, it takes us to go out and get our coho, fill up the hole of the boat, and then come back in and deliver. And now, um, when are you able to fish for the wild Alaskan and the coho at the same time? And, and if yes, are you then, um, you know how you said one takes about four and a half hours and one takes about two and a half hours to freeze, are there then separate areas of that bottom part of the ship where you're um, putting these two different kinds of salmon into? No, we're, we're allowed to fish for kings and for coho. And what you find is that the kings swim at uh, one level of depth and the coho swim at a higher level of depth than a king. So a king swims lower than a coho. Mm-hmm. And so we'll use, we'll use a bigger hook when we want to fish for kings. And the season for kings is basically a very short season um, from July 1st this year till July 10th. And then it was uh, about nine days in August. Um, so... We will target king salmon. We'll actually fish lower during those times. They will catch some coal. When they do, they just put them on the plates and let them just freeze along with the kings. And when everything's frozen, then we glaze. And, and the important thing you have to understand is we only fish to what we can freeze. We're different than any other fishing vessel out there, any sort of fishing operation in Alaska, because we're producing food. We want to make sure our fish is frozen. We want to make sure it's treated properly. So we'll actually stop fishing if we fill our freezer. Wow. Okay. So then you'll go back early, I guess. <laughs> they'll just they'll wait for that fish to freeze. They'll go into a harbor. They'll drop the hook. They'll glaze the fish. They'll uh, clean out that freezer, and then they'll go right back out and go fishing again. Wonderful. Um, well, I wanted to ask, I mean, I know the quality of your salmon is like, you know, so superior and it's so great fresh, um, but you seem to have some kind of background in smoke housing. Is that, is that true? Yeah, I started out in Seattle the smokehouse uh, called Port Chatham with two Norwegian brothers that were doing, well, you probably heard of Copper River Kings, correct? Um, no, and you want to tell me a little bit about them? Uh, well, Copper River Kings is one of the earliest uh, one of the earliest runs of king salmon in Alaska. Happens in the Copper River. It's a net fishery, but uh, they're kind of world renowned because the longer the river, the more oil the king salmon saves up. And the Copper River is a very, very long river, so the the oil and the um, king salmon from the Copper River have been marketed uh, as one of the highest oil level contents of fish you can get. Similar to ours, because you know ours are at their peak. 
Um, and when I went to work for uh, my company in, in Seattle, I was a young lad of 16 years old mm-hmm. and started cleaning the plant and then worked my way up to manager of the plant when I got in my early 20s and um, learned about quality of salmon, how to take care of salmon, how to fillet salmon, and how to smoke salmon properly. Right. Well, we actually, um, we're here in New York where it's like, you know, bagels and lox uh, galore. We've got uh-huh. a question from uh, Terry Gaynor, actually, in Westchester, New York. And he wants to know about, you know, what the, how you make the best lox. I mean, what was the secret behind the smokehouse you worked at? And would you feel comfortable sending your salmon to then be smoked to, um, you know, produce something like lox? Yeah, a lot of people make locks out of our salmon. We actually have a smokehouse here in Seattle now called, in Woodenville, Washington, actually, called G&D Seafoods. And they actually buy our coho salmon, and they make locks out of our coho salmon, and Con Nast named it one of the best smoked salmon in America. Wow. So you are selling smoked salmon? We're selling salmon to smokers who smoke it. Okay, and then so it's no longer, does it still get, um, is your name still attached to it so that they know, like, what amazing, like, you know, fresh product it was to begin with? Yeah, G&D advertises as Bruce Gore uh, coho salmon that they're selling, yes. Wonderful. So what have we not covered that you'd like to um, let our listeners know a little bit more about the fishery that you um, fish and, you know, all the salmon? You know, with everything going on in the world, I think it's really important that, uh, that people understand the differences and the nuances of fish, and it's no different than, than, than the different wines out there. If you look at the different wine you can buy and the varieties and everything else, I just think that we have the finest, the finest salmon you can get, and I just encourage everybody to try it and taste the difference. Definitely. I mean, that's, that's great. Um, and um, is there any sockeye salmon where you are? I mean, you mentioned just the coho and the wild, the last, I mean, the, the king. Yeah, there's, 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 there's sockeye salmon, and there's pink salmon, and there's also kita or chum salmon, they call it. And those are all net fisheries. The state of Alaska is set up to let different fisheries happen different ways. And mm-hmm. so our salmon, our, our troll salmon fishery is for king salmon and coho salmon only. Okay. Um, is there anywhere that people can go to, like, see a little bit more, um, you know, like what the boats look like or to read or um, learn a little bit more about your fishery and um, triad in general? Uh, if you want to see something about triad fisheries, you can go right to our website, www.triadfisheries.com. There's actually a coho salmon on there, mm-hmm. and you can flip it up and look inside of it right there on the Internet. No way. Yeah, and you can see how clean one of our fish is. <laughs> so they all look exactly like that. You'll see all the scales are on the fish. It's perfectly flattened out. When we when we freeze it, we, we splay the tail out, so the tail's, absolutely, the tail's absolutely flat. The fins are all on there. And it has this hologram look to it because it's absolutely the freshest, best wild salmon you can get. It's never seen fresh water. When a salmon goes into fresh water, it tends to change colors, obviously, and it stops feeding, and it's using up its body fat. So that's the difference, is our salmon is still putting on body fat. It's never seen fresh water. And then if you take very good care of it and clean it properly and freeze it properly, it makes for an amazing experience for the end user. Yeah, and it sounds like we've got a virtual, almost a fish market online. We're able to kind of see it as if it was being filleted in front of us. Well, we just we just put a whole fish on there is what we did. We made it so you could look inside of it. Very cool. Yeah, well, I hope you enjoy it. Wonderful. Well, I'll hope that all of our listeners log on to to take a look at that. And um, as the president now of Triad Fisheries, 
triad. You have to um, excuse me. I'm sorry. I have a problem pronounce, pronouncing my A's. I, I am from Long Island, so it's a problem. Um, but I do apologize. Um, but everyone knows that you are triad fisheries. And triad. Triad, exactly. And that's, um, <laughs> I'm sorry. And we can um, always go to www.triadfisheries.com to learn more. Right. And um, I guess uh, that's pretty much it for now. Um, I will um, hope to have you on again in the future to maybe talk about, you know, the difference between this year's catch and last year's catch and, you know, just um, learn a little bit more about what's going on in the um, Alaskan fishing world. That's terrific. We'd love to work with you. Thank you very much. No problem, Mark. Well, you enjoy the rest of your day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you.